Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have Nick Popovici, the co-founder and CEO of Vita Mojo. We're going to be talking about leadership, the power of personalization, and how digital transformation is essential if you want to be here in the years to come. So grab a headset, coffee, whatever you need, and enjoy. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast, Nick. It's a big pleasure to be here in the, the hot pepper room at Vita Mojo's head office in London. And I've really been looking forward to talking with you today because we're going to be talking about two of my favorite subjects, tech and hospitality. Well, it's really excited to be here and, uh, and an honor to uh, to be invited to speak on the show. Before we, we get started and dive down, it'd probably be good to know what is Vita Mojo and how do you fit into that and how did you actually founded a business that does both, you know, restaurant and technology, which is a quite rare breed out on the high street? I think it all started with a personal journey. My previous career was finance. One day I got sick, kind of no one knew what was wrong with me. I went around from doctor to doctor, I ended up changing my diet, which changed my life. I just had to eat personalized, remove certain things from my diet uh, that were particularly bad towards me. I didn't have an allergy, so no test would say that stuff, but stuff like, which won't be so surprising, gluten, dairy, spicy food, and a bunch of other stuff I had to remove from my diet. And it made a humongous difference to the point where doctors were, what are you taking? It's like, I'm just eating what's right for my body. That's my personal journey. Uh, how Vita Mojo was founded was um, Stefan and I, the two co-founders, were around that time where I had this health issue. It kind of rekindled. We went to high school together and he had moved to London. And we started talking about how every industry out there is evolving. A view of the world is that nothing is still. Everything is transitioning from one state to another. And the next state that we're all moving towards is one dominated by technology. So even the most traditional businesses will end up being a tech business if they want to be successful. We're both very passionate about the food industry and specifically the how it's not necessarily a setup for the good of the planet or the good of the people eating the food. It's optimized for taste or supply chain, and it's a mass production machine. point to mention there about how it's not good for people is the fact that if you look in the richest countries in the world, the increase in type 2 diabetes and obesity is happening every year. So we're definitely not eating right overall, and we're also wasting a lot of food shipping stuff around the world. So overall, we, we saw the opportunity that the food industry needs to evolve, and we wanted to be that bridge to help restaurants evolve from kind of the old industrial model of mass production into kind of the future that we saw. So you decided then to, did you decide to do the restaurant first, or did you decide to do the, the, the tech first? was chicken and the egg, I guess, in a way, because I agree with you what you're saying that the world is transitioning and uh, there's a lot of industry that have already moved in to become more digital. But we definitely, in, in the restaurant hospitality sector, we live in a, maybe it's a bit harsh to say, but sometimes in the dark ages when it comes to the way we, we do things and approach businesses. Chicken or egg question. It's it's a difficult one because our vision, the vision was that software would have the biggest impact. And so we started with, with software, we converted my kitchen into delivery kitchen to test out kind of the software and how it worked. But our lack of experience in the hospitality sector was A, laughed at by people we're talking to, and B, was quite reasonable. We thought we had this big idea how we're going to change the industry with technology, but didn't really know the ins and outs of the technology. So we started off with the idea of building software, but quickly realized that we don't know what really we're doing. 
So then we ended up opening these restaurants to basically learn about the industry, embed ourselves in it, and build software around real problems we experienced day in and day out, as opposed to sitting in an office building some software and then going, hey, um, this is going to change your life. Which came first? I still don't know. The vision that I explained above is what came first, the idea of transitioning and being that bridge for restaurants. And I guess we went restaurants first four years later that we've gotten the experience, the breath, and have built a great product. We're now f- starting to focus on on the software. So how many uh, units or stores do you have and, and where are you based? We have three three restaurants. They're in the center of London, so by St. Paul's Bank and by Spitalfields. Three we thought is the perfect number that allows us to understand the challenges chains have. Our interest has been to, to sell not only to ind- independents but also to larger chains because we think the biggest impact we can make in the world is through working with people that already have large networks of restaurants. The problems you have, and I'm sure many of your listeners maybe know this, the problems they have when you have one location versus versus a chain, so three locations or more, are vastly different. It's our interest to basically understand the problem fully in the way a chain would experience it. I guess you learn from building your own restaurants. It was like a, you created small feedback machines in principle to build the technology that really is going to make a difference both for, for the customers, supply chain, and, and the people within the restaurant environment. So what does your technology do? Is it simply just an EPOS system? Or is it much more than that? It's a great question. Yeah, so our restaurants are R&D centers. They are a rapid prototyping machine where we get to test stuff out and really be bold, take really crazy ideas that no client would ever accept you to test. Like three and a half years ago, we said we're going to be cashless. Well, at that time, there was no cashless restaurant in the UK that we could see. And we got written up very quickly as the first cashless restaurant. Now, that's the example of of really big risks and the bold ideas that we can test that now there's a plethora of cashless restaurants in the UK. So there are R&D centers. There's this prototyping element to them. In terms of what the software does, and this is kind of maybe going back to the concept of what we see the, the role of technology, there's two parts of our software. First is what the diners see. So this is what we call the, the diner interface. And the second bit is the restaurateur's interface. So this is what everyone in the restaurant sees, operates with. And these two kind of subsets of products behave differently, have different uh, stakeholders, and they optimize different things. Right now, in most restaurants, what you have is a analog experience. So you usually see a, a printed menu either on the wall, on a board, or on a piece of paper that contains anywhere between 60 to 200 items. It really depends on how, how big the restaurant is and the style of restaurant. You are, you're presented as a diner with a challenge of figuring out what to eat there. Sure, if you've been there many times, you probably already know what your favorite is. But if you come for the first time, you have this massive amount of choice and no real color. How it's a cook, where it comes from, what's in it. What is it about it? How do I make that decision about what to eat? So the first thing to focus on the diner is giving them a personalized experience. First and foremost is helping them kind of reduce choice. Second of all is providing them with transparency and control about what they eat. The control element is an interesting one. The way we see the world evolving is away from mass production, away from kind of centralized, standardized products into personalized products. I believe one of your previous guests talked a lot about personalization in restaurants, and um, we totally agree with that. So what we focused on here is, again, in this with this bold mindset, let's do full personalization. 
So not, uh, you know, kind of pick what protein and sides you want, but how far can we take this idea? And we took it as far as personalizing food by DNA. So if I step back a few steps from there, what does that mean? So we intrinsically, we're all different. We all have different heights, genders, lifestyles, DNA. You will have had a big breakfast. As you were mentioning earlier, I had a very small breakfast. So, um, But tomorrow I might have a big breakfast. You might have a small breakfast. So not only are we different, but we ourselves change constantly what our optimal intake of uh, food is based on what we've just done. So what this means is that if you look, what's the optimal meal that we, we should have at any given point in time? It's not just about taste. It's not just about convenience, but it's also about uh, nutrition or what our body needs. At the intersection of those three kind of vectors is full personalization, which is quite daunting and complex. You would almost need a personal chef, a private nutritionist, and, you know, using a bunch of Fitbit Apple Watch to, to quantify a lot of the stuff you've done. And that service exists. If you look at top athletes, so Formula One drivers, to give you an example, uh, tennis players, they actually have that. That's how they eat and operate. They have this fully bespoke, personalized eating experience. So our goal with on the diner side was to see how far can we can we take this and be profitable and do this in a in a commercial way, not in a I need a private chef, I'm gonna spend hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year to get this product. It's a lot easier to understand if you go to our website, vidamoja.com and try to place an order. For the diner, what you see is a platform for you to fully personalize your meal. It starts with choosing tastes, maybe things that you fancy or don't fancy, and then moves into your ability to control the quantity of anything in your basket. So instead of having one large menu and you choose, oh, I'd like a salad or I'd like a chicken and sweet potato mash meal, you we broke down the menu into small Lego blocks and you end up kind of selecting those blocks and creating the meal that suits you best for your taste. Then the next step is adjusting the quantities. I want more chicken, I want less sweet potato mash. And in that process, giving diners the transparency and control to make better decisions. So we showed live calorie information through that journey. We showed the how many of five a days or the grams of protein in it or whatever the operator, for example, would, would want to set up. It could show sustainability. It could show how spicy it is. It would basically, it's a dashboard that helps diners make better choices for who they are. To put it all together, we build a platform for a diner that is about transparency, about control and about personalization. We believe a personalized experience and a personalized meal is vastly superior and desired than a mass-produced one. Then it operates like an operating system through the whole restaurant because that data changed the whole way of how you would operate your business in a way. And, and we all know that personalization is becoming is already and becoming a bigger, bigger thing. We can see that how we shop on Amazon and how they have taken the whole personal journey where it's so easy to, to order and they suggest things for you like machine learning and so on. So I guess that all goes back into the operation and that helps designing an operating system that fits not just the, the cookie cutter consumer, but you as an individual and thereby you build trust with that customers and they become long-term ambassadors for the, the brand or the food brand that decides to, to integrate your technology. Absolutely. I mean, you said it better than I could. Absolutely. We're not just an EPOS. Oh, we have an EPOS but it's a lot more than that. It's an operating system, as you said, and it touches from everything from what the diner sees, so this digital menu from ordering food uh, in store. So instead of a paper menu, you have 
um, a digital menu. Uh, we have pre-order apps and the ability to order your food outside the restaurant to be ready when you get there. And then either for takeaway or for eat-in. And then on the back of house, and this is the second part of, of our operating system, is helping the operator deliver upon this, this promise 100% of the time. So what's the promise? Is the promise that I'll deliver food quickly, on time, uh, and according to what you ordered. And the back of house system that we have is it's like an advanced kitchen display screen with capacity management and all sorts of checkpoints in the kitchen, digital checkpoints that help communicate to the customer, hey, your food's ready. Or on the other hand, help the managers keep track of productivity, who's performing better than others, which one of the restaurants in, in the group uh, have the best throughput. This isn't throughput of orders that you'd get from a till. This is throughput of production. So what happens really in the kitchen helps you identify bottlenecks, helps you identify um, opportunities to improve. So this this is quite an interesting subject. Something we at Hospitality Mavericks have followed uh, a bit over the years. We especially looked at uh, we looked at what you guys are doing. We also looked at what Sweet Green in the US, if you know about them, they're doing because they they are very big on the supply chain and, and the blockchain to do that. But recently, a very big player, my my old employer McDonald's, have just decided this week they wanted to become a tech company as well and. and acquired a decision-making tool, Dynamics, to help the consumers become more personalized, to, to do more personalized decisions in drive through and, and inside stores and stuff like that. If they set the standard for what restaurants should become part tech company now, do you think that that's where the industry is moving or is that for only for, for the big players out there that will do moves like this? It's amazing, actually, to see the McDonald's acquisition. I think they paid over $300 million for Dynamic Yield. And you, you're right, they, they are making a big statement and a big step forward forward by acquiring a company to prevent their competitors from uh, from getting the same service. So the evolution that we see and this is what intuitively have been have been working towards is that any successful restaurant business, actually any successful business at all in the world will be a tech business. And I don't mean they'll have tech as in they'll have computers and some technology, they will be tech led. I.e. the tech will be the secret sauce. If 20 years the battle uh, was in procedures and manuals if you've experienced at McDonald's and strict processes. The next advantage is technology that does all that for you, helps you improve your processes and suggests to you, hey, you should open earlier or close later or don't cook so much chicken at this time or put this at the top of your menu, this at the bottom of your menu. So those kind of things, those kind of decisions that you typically used to centralize and uh, come up with a process, a manual, and then distribute to every little restaurant in your organization, it's not the most efficient way to doing it because every restaurant is slightly different. So it's 95% good, but that 5% is the next opportunity where technology comes in and, and tries to push the boundary. And, you know, restaurants are low-margin business, so 5% is a lot. Yeah, and that, that, that will be great for some some businesses even, the 5%. Because, yeah, as everybody knows, this in restaurants is going to be tougher and tougher to keep their margin. So tech now becomes a bit like the new infrastructure, in a way, for restaurants to take these procedures and manuals and really bring them to life because they're often quite cookie-cutter. Because what I've learned over years is that 
maybe you have a manual and procedures, but every every location, every employee, every customer is changing that game all the time. And you're trying to fit them into that box. But what technology can actually help you with is actually allow them to have that personal touch in a way. And then you can take away the heavy lifting as well for, for managers and employees. Because what you do a lot of the time as a manager in a restaurant, we all know that, is you're putting out fires because you couldn't predict what's going to happen because you were basing it on your experience and gut. And that's never good in, in anything. So actually technology, as I see it, can actually help making better decisions and therefore become more profitable and a better place to work in the end. I totally agree with that. What's different about us is our focus isn't just on making restaurants better, but also the diner experience better. We believe there's this intersection, what we call the win-win, the intersection between something that's good for the operator and good for the diner. And that is a space we try to operate in day in and day out. We're not interested so much in tools that just are good for the, for the restaurant, but maybe bad for the consumer or neutral. We really focus on those that are the win-win because that's where we think the real change will happen. If you, for example, if you just put technology for the sake of to, to solve an operational issue, but it makes the life no better, so forget about worse, no better for the diner, then why should they change the way they do it? Why should they change the way they interact with the restaurants? Why should they use a kiosk? Why should they use a digital menu? Our belief is that you need to add value in both places, and all our energy is focused on the win-win specifically. So, for example, we put this kiosk, this digital menu in front of customers, which said to provide a more transparency, control, calorie information for the diner. For the operator, they don't have to spend money on menus all the time updating them. They're intelligent, so they end up changing frequently based on various optimization things that we, we can optimize for. But they also provide with the operator an incredible amount of data because before all they had is an EPOS, which told them, I have one transaction um, at this hour and this anonymous person bought this and this. But in a kiosk, you can actually not necessarily identify who that person if they are John or Adam, but rather tell them that this unique visitor has come back three times this week or this person has come back from a month ago. Not only can you recognize them, but you can personalize their experience based on who they are. That helps not only the the diner, but also the restaurant. And the other kind of big selling point is that when people have control of what they eat, they spend more money than when they don't. And that's for a variety of reasons, but they end up spending 15 to 20% more money on our kiosk than they do in person. And they're happy. That's not because we trick them. This isn't the, you didn't know where to click and you, you bought more. It's about they see more value. They want to get more out of your product. So that's for the example of that win-win. Operators get higher sales, more data, and the diners get personalized experience and ultimately a better experience. So when you go out and work with other operators beside your own restaurants, what are typical the reasons why they start looking at you? Is it the, the personalization thing or is it the data they want they don't have today? It's a mixture of both. And I think the personalization is a journey. If you look at most operators, when we speak to them, they're like, whoa, I don't want to do personalization by DNA. I don't want to do this crazy stuff. And that's a spectrum. On the left-hand side, there's purely mass production. You cannot touch everything. On the other extreme is where we push the boundary is you can personalize by DNA. And we don't actually suggest that to people unless they really want it. 
But that's a spectrum. So somewhere on that spectrum would be the right thing for their operation, for the business. But what is valid for every restaurant, no matter how complex or simple the operation is, is the personalization of the experience. Uh, you don't have to change anything in the kitchen, but the way you display things, the way things are. And this is what Dynamic Yield and the company that McDonald's bought does, is optimizes the menus around, around things such as time of day, who the customer is, upselling, uh, which we do as well. That's how you personalize an experience, not necessarily the product. They go very much for the personalized experience because people spend more. But linked to that is all the data they get to help them make better decisions about the menu. I don't think I can can split it apart to see which one's more. It's sort of the same thing. I guess if I had to put those in two words, our product is helping them evolve from an analog business with very little data and a mass-produced experience to a personalized and a big data kind of business. And that difference, although it might sound subtle, it is transformative. It's almost helping them digitalize quicker, I get, if the, the word everybody uses, I need to digitalize my business, but they really don't know what that means in a way. So you create these digital touch points, both, I guess, we talked a lot about the customer side, but what about inside in the organization? Because yes, when you get that data, that can be transformed into some interesting things from, you know, optimizing the way we work and we do things as an operation. Yeah, absolutely. So inside the organization is the same principle is understanding that if we have more data and we put that in front of not only the owners, not only the area managers and the operations managers, but also in front of the staff, we can transform things. In our um, R&D centers or restaurants, we allow people to pre-order food at a certain time. People go to the gym and I say, I want my breakfast at 7.20 or I want my lunch at 12.50. And people just come in, grab it and go. And that's maybe about a third of customers that do that. Being on time is very important. And what we saw through the data was that Actually, we were only about 60-70% on time. The other time we were late to one, two, three minutes, five minutes, which is bad. If you pre-order for 1220, well, you better be ready at 1220. So what we did is we actually built a dashboard that every staff in each restaurant can see, tracking live how they're doing on their promise. They made to the customer, this will be ready on time. And we gamified it and gave each restaurant basically their own dashboard and said, Whoever can get the highest score by the end of the quarter gets a prize. What that meant is now having data, actionable data, and seeing, oh, yeah, well, when we asked them, how many do you think you're doing on time? It was like, oh, 9 out of 10 on time is just 1 out of 10. It turns out it's 6 out of 10, not 4 out of 10. But once they see that data, they trust it, they visualize it, they realize there's been a gap. Hey, there's those three orders I didn't think about that are wrong. If this was McDonald's, they would have had a process change. They said, okay, from now on, You do it this way. What we did is empower the people with the data and told them, hey, your job is to fix this and allowed them to figure out how to do it without us needing an overhead team, a central team to come up with all these new rigid centralized decisions. Those are still valid for many things, but there's cases where you can empower the staff to make better choices themselves at a low cost to you. That's how we can use technology to change and improve processes that maybe is unique to the way we've done it. And this is actually super interesting because one of the things we, we, we try to preach often is that 
that how can you engage that frontline, the frontline employee and managers. They know so much more about your business than you because you can come up with the best process, but you maybe haven't been in the frontline for years. You don't have those conversations with customers. Then you spend all that time designing it and implementing it. Yes, it's been implemented, ticked by that, but then you find out it doesn't work and they don't get engaged in it as well. And it's very interesting when you said that they can actually see on dashboard they're winning the game because often you can only see if you won or lost historical data yeah. this is lead indicators and thereby you can change behavior so that, that's super interesting i think that i haven't thought about tech quite to be used in that way but that's a very interesting way of, of displaying that with the market the challenges we've seen uh, a lot of scary stuff the last 24 months uh, cvas some of the big players especially casual dining been hit but also fast casual has been hit so how do you see it from your side being you know an, a restaurateur and also a, a tech company because it's, it's your customers and also it's the market you operate in it seems like we're in what I would call, we call it the perfect storm. It is the perfect storm. This will be no news for your followers, but how we see, you know, restaurants are, again, I mentioned earlier, a low margin business. So unlike a lot of our industries, they operate on 15, 20%, 7% margin. And the other thing is about a third of the costs are staffing costs, which are basically really, really low relative to all the other industries. So restaurants are a low margin business that rely on minimum wage or just above minimum wage workers. What's happening right now in North America, so Canada, U.S., Australia, the U.K., there's been a recognition that those are minimum wages are not good enough. They're not livable wages. There's a um, reversion or there's an increase in them to, to get them to an acceptable re- level. So Canada raised minimum wages twice in the last 18 months. Australia, I think it's now about $20. Um, the UK is scheduled into law every year. They go up about 5%. So this perfect storm, you have low margin business and have the largest cost in your business is increasing. So what does this mean? Well, it means that you need to evolve or you probably die. On UK, there's an added pressure that you just mentioned with Brexit means the pound depreciated by about 20%. Food cost inflation, so stuff you buy abroad, has been increasing by about 20%. Restaurants in the UK have a triple problem, that of food cost increasing And in addition to that, we've had business rates go up in London a lot. And the number of people that are immigrating to UK has decreased. Even though nothing's happened, UK hasn't left. People stop wanting to come to a country that's about to leave. So that's what the perfect storm is. It's happening globally and UK has it the worst, what I'd say, which is why you've seen so many failures. That's kind of the negative side. The positive side is that this is a great opportunity to evolve. For us, as we're seeing it, this is the tipping point where people who evolved like McDonald's ahead of the curve were not doing it because of necessity. They were doing it because that's what McDonald's has been doing for 80 years, innovating, being forward-thinking and saying they're not, they're not comparing, oh, h- how to become better than Burger King. What they said, what McDonald's says every day is how to become better than yesterday. It's kind of the Japanese philosophy of small constant improvement. So the reason McDonald's made that acquisition is because they see tech as a competitive advantage and they didn't want their competitors to be able to have it. So they still let that company operate in other industries like fashion, retail, but in food, they're the only supplier for McDonald's. I think the the positive about this perfect storm is that the people that will embrace technology, which I appreciate can be daunting and, and scary sometimes, will be the ones that will end up miles ahead or even are the only ones around in five years in the UK. It is quite interesting when you look at the industry and how we do things. We often, we talked about it on a podcast a couple of times, we say we uh, we sometimes, on many areas, operate like we're still in industrial society, but society has moved on and we are probably not even in the information age anymore. We 
we are in the blockchain age and, and thereby technology becomes so important. And I think you're absolutely spot on. This is a, either you rise with the challenge or you're probably going to have some very, very tough time and it as well be sudden death at some point. There's pressure everywhere, but especially in the UK with the uncertainty around economic situations, around Brexit and so on. What will you do then with your restaurant business? Are you uh, are you opening more sites or are you keeping the tree sites as a, a feedback mechanism into technology? Because I guess you build them just to do a feedback and then be good at technology. But do you have a dilemma there now? <laughs> no, that's very clear, Rust. Our focus is on helping other restaurants evolve and using our restaurants as R&D centers. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's no dilemma in our mind, and our focus is very clear. The restaurants do keep us honest. So, you know, labor costs are going up next week. A, we inform about it. B, the whole engineering team, all our software um, engineers, which you could see behind us if you were in this room, they have the pulse of the market, what's going on, so they can not only talk to the customers in the right way, but build and innovate new ideas around, okay, how do we help restaurants improve labor productivity in such a way that this increase in in labor costs next week doesn't kill them? Coming back to that win-win mentality, the kiosk, and the, the digital menu that I talked about is, is that an intersection? What, what we didn't talk about is not only does make customers given transparency and control, helps operators get more data and increase sales, but also it means you, you need less staff to be entering data into the EPOS. So they uh, improve labor productivity. So instead of what we see with our clients, for example, they would operate three to four cashiers. Now what they've done is they have kiosks and they operate one cashier and slash one cashier slash for those those who go for the mixed model. And for those that don't, that, that person is front of house. And the other two, three people, um, they either get redeployed into higher value added tasks, such as cooking food or being front of house or doing marketing outside the store. So it isn't so much that people fire, use our technology and fire people, but it's more about, well, they can do more productive things. So you two go outside, get more customers. They pay for themselves. But before they're stuck behind a till in a non-productive business, all they did is just enter data into an EPOS, which is why we don't believe a lot uh, that EPOS will be around on a 10-year horizon. It makes no sense to pay someone minimum wage to enter data into an EPOS when the diner is willing and wants to place their own order. I think also you've seen that massive move McDonald's did and I was part of the early days of doing the restaurant of the future was called that point and there was a lot of you know, just inside but also outside saying that will never work for McDonald's and they have transformed the way they get their customers through and an average sales gone up as well uh, I know in the 15 to 20% because people now can choose themselves when and how much I want today in a way so and they have also reduced the amount of space for me and just the maintenance cost of these uh, systems which can be massive for, for businesses so so how do you think people going to order as we go forward a lot of people talk about voice as uh, the next big thing when it comes to customer engagement i guess also from an operational point of view we're going to go away from looking at screen and touching buttons we're actually going to be using voice as a a big thing that is definitely something that we're looking at as well it is not as clear-cut that is it is in warehouses so this idea is, is coming from the fact that amazon uses um voice rather than pdas in, in the warehouses and a lot of the world is watching that i would say right now with research we've done the roi is not there so 
there's a lot of other complexities that might not be apparent, such as um, Bluetooth connectivity, how it works, centralizing the, the management. So it's definitely an area that is where it's going. Whether that will work for restaurants or not, I think there there's, needs to be more evidence before I could I could say that that's... But yeah, I mean, on a long enough horizon, it's probably true. But is the next five, ten years going to you know, gonna be it? I don't know. You touched also on another subject, the food costs and the whole supply chain. Because, first of all, we have a challenge with food in the world. We don't have enough to the amount of people we need to feed every day. Food costs is going to go up. And also the customers want to know on the top of that to add a bit more complexity. Where's my food from? Uh, and the operator will also like to know where's that food from when I'm hit by a food safety storm. Chipotle was hit a couple of years ago with a storm and couldn't really pin down where, where the issue was before very, very late and something that hit the, the business quite hard and, and the trust again to the consumer how do you see that develop that because that's a complex thing farming supply chain suppliers people moving food around how would that work and how do you actually support that journey the way we support that is the forecasting so helping restaurants forecast better um, as you know as a restaurant you have to order your food before um, not 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 30 minutes before you need it but a day to a week ahead of when you need it so right now restaurants rely on very skilled managers that have been around in that specific branch for at least five years before they're operating at an optimal case so the manager knows inside out yep it's christmas it's going to be this slow Easter started raining. They kind of, they kind of have this great experience, and, and they're brilliant operators. But what restaurants are finding out is that less and less those people are available, and also five years is a long time to wait for for a site to get to be up fully optimal. So, could they could they help someone that's managing that place for only six months achieve ninety eight percent of the results if someone has been there for five years? And that's where technology comes in. So forecasting is a big opportunity there. And the other one is by um, having digitized the whole supply chain, which is what we focus on. So all the order placing from suppliers happens digitally. Our suppliers are click a button to say, I've accepted the order. And they label the batches, they scan. So we use phones and scanning to basically keep track of everything. So most restaurants in the UK right now, they rely on a paper invoice, either phone or email, and a few very sophisticated chains. And this McDonald's will be one of them. They have digital ordering. But 90% of the market operates on kind of email and paper invoices. So that's what makes a traceability, accountability a much more difficult than, than digital. So again, it's that digitizing bit. So once you digitize it, then you can apply algorithms to optimize order placing. When it comes to the to the consumer, they, they they would like to buy from restaurants. They I know you, I like you, I trust you. So I guess that uh, the data and the, and what you provide actually can help to build that story. But also see a, a, a movement towards what you call a dark kitchen. Deliveroo, Amazon is going into the restaurant world now. How are the consumer bills trusted these, you know, brands that they actually can't go and visit in a way? There's no place on the high street. Do you think that technology can help building that trust too? Because there's a lot of great stories going around, but also a lot of, you know, bad press about operating in that way. Because I guess the future restaurants maybe don't have a shop front. Yeah, so you're right. Dark kitchens are evolving. As we said, this market is is in prime, prime, prime disruption mode because of the economics and the perfect storm we talked about. And dark kitchens are an evolution of, of the market. If you look at the unit level economics of dark kitchens, they're quite 
fuzzy, not quite there yet. But and there's a lot of investment and subsidy happening from the large companies such as Deliveroo and, and a bunch of others. Can we build trust with technology? Will customers want it? They can't go in there. I think these are the same kind of criticism people had about Amazon. Well, I can't see the books, so why would I not go to a bookstore and buy my books? How? Why would I go online? But you see that with the advancement of technology, so for example, ratings. So if you go on Deliveroo, let's pick one of my favorite delivery companies, they, they show you a rating for each kind of those dark kitchens and customer feedback. So that social proofing gives you the confidence and comfort that, hey, look, over 100 people have ordered in the last week and they rented it 9.5 out of 10. I'm probably going to trust that the previous 100 people didn't die and therefore I'm fine. Technology can build that bridge. It didn't start off like that. There were no ratings for restaurants, but they brought them up subsequently. So I'm a technologist, but I have no doubt that the digital interface a good digital interface is all the customer needs to trust that business is doing a good job. We talked a lot about personalization before, and uh, we had recently Camilla Sitwell on the podcast, which is a very big talk, a lot about this personalization. And personalization is not something that's hugely involved in, in, in the industry. And uh, what are you actually giving them? It's like you're helping giving that infrastructure to do that personalization. But the interesting thing is that there's still a, a perception, a mindset in the industry that we know better than the consumer. We tell them what to eat, in a way. Do you think that that can be actually even a bigger blocker than it's actually more important to get the right mindset about this and then technology maybe is just as a tool? Yeah, if, if you if you were in this room, you would have seen me smiling as yeah. you're asking the question. Uh, absolutely. We, the biggest roadblock to technology adoption and evolution is mindset. And this is what we find when we speak to operators. Some operators, some are very open-minded and forward-thinking, and we definitely see why they're successful. McDonald's, an example, but a lot of the small ones. And some are really conservative and like, no, we just, I just need to squeeze a bit more. I don't need to do anything different. I just need to squeeze a bit more. Maybe they feel guilty, but I just need to squeeze a bit more out of my efficiency, my supply chain, my wastage, my my staffing rota. And I'll get there. I don't need to do that. And that, that mindset is quite prevalent. And yeah, I think in, in a way the market, because we have restaurants, we find it a lot easier to engage and show them and bring them over and show them how it works. And they can see it, touch it, feel it, go visit some of our uh, customers, get testimonials from them. So that's how we get over that barrier. The number one blocker is mindset but i think it's becoming less and less because that perfect storm is here and people no longer have everyone's talking about transformation now mm. i need to transform my business yeah they don't talk about i need to grow five percent they're going to transform so yeah. it's decreasing but still the biggest blocker that's quite interesting we touched a bit on amazon and these kind of businesses and, and you there's a lot of if you open the newspaper day there's the death of the high street across the, the uk and shops are closing all the time i went i live locally in brighton was in haven't been in town for a day i was there yesterday i could actually see the most shops actually closing and i guess this perfect storm is doing that but it also allows the people to understand how to use personalization to open up new opportunities and funny enough amazon it's going on the high street and they have, I think it's 40 sites or something they earmarked in, in London just and actually starting opening convenience stores. And you would think convenience store is a death market. 7-Eleven has pulled themselves back from that years ago. But if you approach it in a different way and actually personalize that experience, you probably, because they come with some insane data, they know more about anyone else than any company does in the world, I guess. So again, it just shows you there's just going to be a new high street, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think absolutely the message is here is this is the biggest opportunity we've had in our lifetimes in the in the food and restaurant industry. It is a huge opportunity to start new businesses, to do things differently, but it requires a new mindset. And the people that have it, we've seen they are absolutely against this perfect storm. They are thriving day in and day out and they're making margins 30% hand over fist by using technology in new ways. So I, I while it's sad, it's also exciting, I think, for the young entrepreneurs and for the people who are willing to, to do things differently. Who are your heroes? Who do you look on to, to develop your business and, and staying ahead of the storm? As you said, like McDonald's is innovating all the time, incre- incremental change. And I know that for myself, that's the, that's the tough part of being part of a business like that. There's so much new happening. What, what are you guys looking at? Who is your, your inspiration coming from? So we, we look very much at other industries such as entertainment. Um, we used to watch TV and wait until the right time, maybe 9 p.m., to watch your favorite show. Now we had Netflix, where not only can you watch it whenever you want, but you can maybe watch the whole season in one go. Music evolved in a similar way. You used to listen on the radio for a, for a song you liked, then you'd go and buy a CD, a whole album for one two songs, download them, put them on the computer, then listen on your CD player, MP3 player, or iPod, um, and that's evolved. So I think a lot of our inspiration comes from looking at tech, uh, other other pure tech companies, and how they've transformed the user experience and the operations. And that that's kind of our leading inspiration. So, and and they all have uh, some common themes, which is more efficient, on demand, and personalized. So. If you hit those three things in, in a restaurant, you know, like Deliveroo is kind of on-demand, solves the on-demand bit. Mm. And then there's personalized and there's there's increasing convenience. So taxis in the UK used to, you can still do it, but if it's raining, it's impossible to get a taxi, a black cab, because you're running around getting wet. And, you know, London does that have some rain, for those of you who are not from London. You end up running around trying to find a taxi when it's impossible. Now you pull up um, Uber or Lyft and you click click a button and boom, you get your personal driver for half the price of a black cab arrived to you within two, three minutes. Those are the kind of companies that we look up to in terms of how they've changed from an industrial way into a the new way, fourth wave. And where our question is, how do we do that for food? Who do you have as your hero or mentors to make sure that you are evolving, I guess, not only the business, but yourself as well, because that's what needed in the perfect storm, I guess. It starts with you. First of all, it's not just myself. So I'm lucky to be surrounded by my co-founder, Stefan, my wife, and um, a few other great people who I look up to in, in many ways. And they also provide me with constant feedback and opportunities to improve. So a lot of the people who look up to is internal. And, and that mirror they provide through feedback of how we can be better, how we can think differently about it. And also our thoughtful disagreement about issues bring up new ideas. Outside the company, I actually look up to a lot of entrepreneurs. So I listen to podcasts and not so much necessarily people that you know of, but people that are going through the struggle of taking an idea from zero to one, from nothing to something. Um, so those people tend to be, I can relate to more than you know my childhood idol, which is Richard Branson. I don't get a lot of stuff out of Richard Branson today, but I get a lot out of entrepreneurs. So you're a tech company and a restaurant business. I guess it's very different to be employed in a business like that. There's also, we haven't touched on the, the war on talent, which is part of the, the perfect storm. There's not enough people. You mentioned a bit, there's not enough people coming to the country. But most 
hospitality operators out there would say this is probably their biggest challenge of course the other things are challenges but this is like if we don't have any people to do what we need to do is serve the customers every day we are not in a good place how are you you placing yourself in that as an employer brand and, and a business to attract people we're quite lucky because we have such a bold idea and a bold vision to be that bridge to help restaurants evolve that we naturally attract people who are excited about that so far, I've been very, very fortunate. Uh, most people that apply for the job have deeply researched the company, know it inside out, have listened to, read all the articles out there, listened to any podcasts or interviews we've done, and they come to the meeting telling you, I want to be part of this. So we're lucky in that way, but I have to say, you know, we can do more um, and have more of a public presence so more people find out about us. And part of spending this time with you today is, is to hope that uh, maybe people that are interested in working with us will give us a, a ring. So what are the top three reasons why I should join Mitsubocho, <laughs> not, uh, not somebody else? Top three reasons. So I think the number one reason is the culture. We focus a lot on what we call a, a specific culture. So we have some very well-defined values and game rules that kind of define the way we interact with each other. And I'll, I'll tell you one of them, just to have an idea. It's called make new mistakes. This is about risk-taking, about encouragement to try new ideas, to be bold. But it's equally about not making the same mistake twice. It's okay to make a mistake once, but don't make the same mistake twice. The number one reason is culture, and a culture that fosters decision-making, trying new things out, is appealing to certain types of people. So those people, I think, find it quite good. Second, I think we have a very informal and family kind of atmosphere where people are really allowed to be themselves, express their individuality. Uh, we personalize, if you may, our, our our culture and for example when we moved offices we gave everyone 250 pound of budget on top of obviously their necessities to make their space their own buy whatever they need maybe it's a wiper maybe it's a different kind of stand so i'm not talking 250 pounds to spend on monitors or anything like that just anything they want to do it so some people buy playstations to play in the office some people want popcorn machines headphones whatever a speaker like a party for for a party so so that's kind of the second and so the culture the atmosphere and i think the third is we have a big job to do and help all those restaurants evolve rather than die and i think people that are that naturally care about improving others and helping others would find a this place like home that was some very good reasons. So when are you joining? Yeah, uh, we can talk about the, the contractual things afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> the last question we always ask the Mavericks joining the podcast is that if they should give advice to anybody in the industry or wants to join the industry, what would be their number one advice to give? We can, we can put the spin on how to, on thriving in the, uh, the perfect storm. What, what is the number one thing you need to be aware and hone in a way? Think of technology as your secret sauce as your advantage, embrace it. You will be able to get 10x more out of it than if you approach it with the mindset of, oh, you know, technology is difficult, it doesn't work, I don't understand it. Spend that time to embrace technology. And I'm not just saying Vira Mojo, just generally any technology in the restaurant space. And think of it as a, as a secret sauce. And I think you'll end up ahead through this perfect storm. As we talked about, maybe it's going to be, or probably is, the only way out of the perfect storm is start leveraging that opportunity. 
Nick, thank you so much for spending time with us and inviting us here to the Hot Pepper Room in the HQ of Vitamojo. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be in touch again as you are helping uh, the operators surviving the, the, the perfect storm in the coming years. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all we had time for today. Thank you, Nick, for sharing your fascinating story, insight and thoughts on today's hospitality climate, and especially the importance about transforming your business into a digital business if you want to survive. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. Thank you to Let's Talk Video Production for helping to make these podcasts awesome. We hope you enjoyed today's Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. Tune in next time for another industry interview, and in the meantime, find out more about us at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be maverick.